from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things that made us go wow. Uh, I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, here with Tom Campbell, our Chief Creative Officer. Hello, hello, hello. And of course, the legendary James St. James, editor of the Wow Report. Oh, you're too kind. I am indeed, yes. Living legend. Let's begin the countdown. Top 10 things that made us go, wow, number 10 song. Number 10. Breaking news, breaking news from Broadway. My obsession of 2012 and for years after, Smash is going to be a Broadway show. Smash, what? as you may that recall. That is so weak. That is so meta. That is like, you know, uh, what pop is eating itself. And that sounds delicious. Um, uh-huh. uh, as For those who don't remember or don't want to remember, Smash was on NBC for two years. Um, Steven Spielberg behind it, also behind the Broadway show now. Um, um, Robert Greenblatt, who is at NBC, now a producer of the show, and also Neil Marin, who was on the original show, the Broadway show, bringing back uh, or using the Shaman Scott Whitman songs, Mark Shaman Scott Whitman, which is the best part of the whole thing. Yes, it just sounds like the dream team, uh, the ultimate dream team. Yes, now it sounds like a Tom Campbell wet dream, is what it sounds yes. like. Yes. But here's here's and this is where again this is the this is a detail but it's an important detail for for us as smashers which is the show was about the making of a show about Marilyn Monroe called Bombshell. Now Mark uh, Shaman and Scott Whitman wrote all the songs for Bombshell, which were incredible. One of them was actually repurposed in the Mark Shaman Scott Whitman musical that's playing right now, Some Like It Hot. That had was Marilyn Monroe, but. Um, the, but the the, mo- the 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 TV show is all over itself with Deborah Messing all this kind of stuff because it was also like pop songs and songs about the stories of their lives and how it sort of dovetailed with Marilyn's story, which sometimes worked brilliantly and sometimes didn't work at all. Now, about five years ago, um, actors Equity River in, in Broadway they they staged Bombshell, just the the Mark Shaman Scott oh. Whitman songs. Just the Merrill thing. John Hill of, of Radio Andy fame and World of Wonder fame invited me. He knows Mark Shaman because he was in Hairspray years ago. And I got to be one of the few people. They ended up re-broadcasting uh, it for the first time during the epidemic so people could fundraise during the epidemic. This new version of Smash is not Bombshell, the Merrill Monroe story. It's Smash, the behind-the-scenes of making the Marilyn Monroe. So I don't know what... Oh, and they're saying so they that aren't they, using any of those wonderful songs from Bombshell? I'm assuming they are, but they said they're going to... They're, it's going to be a comedy. It's going to... Because it was a drama before. And they are going to veer wildly from the storyline, the behind-the-scenes storyline. So it sounds like it might be more of like a noises off. I don't know. Um, I'm intrigued. It sounds like 30 Rock is what it sounds like. <laughs> I, I love what James says about pop will eat itself, but it's kind of like pop will repeat itself too, isn't it? It's like it's like going like the sort of Dubonnet label where you go into yes. it and then you go into well, because, it. And then you go it's, into it's the making of a show about the making of a show about the making of a show on on Broadway. You know, I mean, like yeah, 
And then yep. there can be a podcast, and then that can be a movie, and then that can become a musical, and then that can become a cartoon, and then and you then can another do another movie. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? Bombshell the universe. But you know, they just made that awful movie. I never saw it, but that movie with about Marilyn Monroe. But the the musical yeah. was so I, smart I, and so clever. I will not hear any. I loved that movie. I thought it was oh, you very did. Good. I did. I thought it was. I thought it was brilliant. Oh Are God. we ready for a singing fetus? Should we be doing that <laughs> as a musical, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I'm, it, I, I love reading stuff on Deadline because they're very newsy, but the comments are very bitchy. Yes. And people are calling out because, you know, it's these, th- you know, Spielberg and Marin and Greenblatt are great guys, you know, touting the thing. But Teresa Reebok, who is a great writer, was the showrunner in the first season. And I don't know the background, but I guess was not treated that well and was canned. And ho- people are hoping that she gets a big, paycheck for this as well um and the only thing else is i love the maryland part so much i hope the other part works the um problem with this concert uh not the problem is like they wrote such an ambitious score with so many songs about maryland that it's almost impossible for one person to perform them all in one night and eight times a week which i thought they should solve by making it just a concert about maryland Monroe with two or three actresses playing her but they don't listen to me. My friends, who I won't name, were brought in a few years ago to pitch their idea of what it should be. I guess they didn't make the cut. I don't think they're doing this. Do we have um, any idea who's going to play them? Is there any idea to the, who's going to play Well, everyone's saying it's got to be Megan Hilty and all this stuff. I don't know. It's 10 years later. I don't know if you can still play Marilyn Monroe at 40. I don't know when she died I, at 36. I would hope not, dear God. I mean, Marilyn Monroe um, did not last to be 40. Yeah. Um, and the, just the last little tidbit, this, <laughs> I don't, this is... I was with Adam at the time. We were obsessed with Bombshell. The end of the first season Bombshell, you don't know whether it's Megan Hilty against Catherine McPhee, who will be Marilyn, who's going to be on the stage, who's in the background. And there's this big, like, Marilyn after death song that's so compelling. Um, And um, Megan Hilty, you think, takes pills, and then they cut away, and you think Megan Hilty has just committed suicide. And at that exact moment, while we were watching that live on television, I live in a building where Marilyn Monroe lived for about six months in 1954. The uh, Graveline tour goes by and an ambulance came up to the front of my building and went into the Marilyn Monroe unit and took someone out. You were making this up. I don't believe any of this. Tom, that has to be its own Broadway musical now. Like, oh my God, that and a singing fetus, and I am a millionaire. <laughs> we won't have you on the show anymore because you'll just be like, ah, not doing that. I'll be the toast of the town. <laughs> All right, Tony's coming your way any minute soon. In the meantime, James, number nine. Number nine. Number nine, my niece, my young niece, forced me to read a book this week called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Uh, by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It was a huge, huge, huge bestseller about five years ago in New York Times, number one. It was on the lips of everybody everyone was talking about. It's very much in the in like the Judith Krantz, Jackie Collins type. It's a beach read. It is a very fast. I read it in a day and a half, and I took my time, okay? It's, <laughs> it's, it's very, very quick, quick read. Um, it, Evelyn Hugo was the biggest star of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then she retired in the 80s. And she was famous for her big bosoms and her big, big eyes. And everyone, she had a face that could stop traffic. She was so beautiful. And she's basically Elizabeth Taylor. She had seven husbands. 
Okay, and each chapter is a different husband that she tells the story of how she uses each one in her climb to the top of the Hollywood ladder. But unbeknownst to anybody else, her rival, Celia St. James, who is like a very, you know, a, an actress who wins Academy Awards. And, Celia is not her rival at all, but is really her lover. And they are, they're married, secretly married, but they can't let the world know because then it will ruin both their careers. Now, and then the, the Evelyn is now an old lady. She's in her, and she brings this young woman aboard and she says, I'm going to tell you my life story and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you everything warts and all. And then after I die, you can publish my book and may, you will get $20 million for the rights. And so she's every chapter, she sort of tells all the horrible things that she has done. And it's, it's 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 like I said, it's Elizabeth Taylor, but it's also a little bit um uh, uh Rita Hayworth because Rita uh, Evelyn Hugo was secretly Cuban, but she you know got rid of her accent and dyed her hair blonde, sort of like you know uh, um Rita yes. had to do. And, I have uh, never heard you sound more enthusiastic about anything in a long <laughs> time. Like. <laughs> well, it is. It's just. It's. It's one of those. Like I said, it's a beach read. And oh, the reason why I read it was because Netflix has acquired it and is making a movie very soon about it. And everyone's furious because they wanted HBO to do like a seven part, you know, where yes. each husband gets a separate episode. But Netflix is doing a movie, and every Twitterverse is furious about it. But everyone is trying to figure out who plays what role. It's like it's gone with the it wind. Feels I would cast. Sarah Paulson as the young Elizabeth Taylor and her lover as the woman looking back at the age oh. of uh, oh. what's her name? Holland Taylor is the old Holland Taylor, yes. That'd be funny. Um, everyone says Jessica Chastain is going to be because the the Celia St. James is a redhead and a beautiful redhead. And then Anna de Arnos, uh, uh, who is Marilyn in the Joyce yes. Carol Oates thing. They say that she's probably going to be playing the Evelyn Hugo. This is the second lesbian uh, love story I've heard because it was just released and I forget the name, but uh, was it McKella Cole and uh, Anne Hathaway are going to be in some kind of oh, big I movie? Saw that about... too. They're doing a musical or something, aren't they? Or they're, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a movie where one's a rock star and yes, and one's a designer. And remember lesbian this time life. last year, I was on my lesbian 18th century lesbian kick, wasn't I? I remember there was a bunch of movies that I watched where they were Kate Winslet on a beach. Winslet on a Kate Winslet, oh, yes, yeah. on a beach. Yes, scrubbing rocks <laughs> and pining for a woman. Celia St. James, is that any relation then? James well, I'm think I'm thinking they were thinking of me actually as they were writing the book. I think so too. That's uh the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Who's it by, James? Uh, a woman named Taylor Jenkins Reed, who has a number of series going on TV right now. Um, Daisy Jones and the Six, which is yep. um, a big one that's about Fleetwood Mac, sort of a veiled thing. That's on right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Her. Okay. Available on Amazon, of course, where all books are sold. Uh, number eight. Number eight. Another read, uh, Unscripted. I am reading a book called Unscripted. The title is the subtitle the epic battle for a media empire and the redstone family legacy 
Oh, this, is, this is so up your alley. I can't believe, I feel like this. you have an auto, you have an AI that just writes these books for you because they don't really exist except in your head because this is so Fenton. This is by James B. Stewart who wrote the Milken book and the, the Disney book and uh, Rachel Abrams. And it tells the story of Sumner Redstone, the maverick billionaire. Remember he... He uh, turned a chain of, of cinemas into basically a, va- a massive empire that consists of Viacom, CBS, Paramount, all his. And um, he actually died uh, quite recently, well, three years ago, in age 97. Early in his career, he survived a devastating hotel fire by literally hanging by his fingernails out of the window of his hotel room in Boston. He was severely burned, and had he let go, he would have plunged to his death, but he did not. And that sort of drive to survive, that will to win, kind of characterizes his career. Well, this story picks up in his 90s, in the 90s, in his 90s. Um, uh, The New York Times says uh, it really should be called Big Shots Behaving Badly, It is a model of how gracefully to tell the most grotesque of stories. Because (laughs) Sumner Redstone was no angel. He appears he didn't see a woman he didn't want to molest. And the older he got, the more he seemed to pick on younger women, um, you know, almost 100 years his junior. And he would just love bomb them with millions of dollars of stock and companies. And he ended up in a sort of menage a trois with two of them. In fact, here's what happened. His grandson, who was in the media, took his uh, uh, grandfather to the MTV Awards. And his grandson had a date, a a lovely woman, on whom his grandfather hit. And so the grandson was so upset by this, he hired someone, he found, he hired um, Paddy Stanger, Bravo's millionaire matchmaker to find someone for Sumner Redstone, a suitable girlfriend. Big mistake, because she found him a woman who bonded with another woman, Sydney Holland, and then another woman, Manuela Hadza, and they basically took over his life, moved into the compound, separated him from everyone, and managed to get through about $150 million. Well, I'm telling no, but that's what you do. I mean, that if you're gonna do it, if you're that's what you that's the the, the playbook. All right. Separate him from the family and spend the money. And uh-huh. uh Sumner Redstone was horrible to his children, but Shari Redstone, his daughter, who seemed to have a skin as thick as I don't know, cement, somehow prevailed, somehow managed to wrest back control and I mean, it is, I'm only about 150 pages in. It is a shit show like no other. You are like WTF, the chaos, the backstabbing, the incompetence. And of course, the sort of final chapter of this book is Les, is Les Moons um, at CBS, you know, his implosion for sexual harassment and assault, which of course he has denied. But needless to say, all, all the claims are settled in a, $30 million settlement. I mean, it is, it's just jaw-dropping. You, you love 
bad boy billionaires is is what is what I keep hearing over <laughs> you you are somehow attracted to the 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 most deviant disgusting people on the planet well maybe so james but i also you're think you're one that- to talk <laughs> <laughs> i think that corporate america is fascinating because i suppose in in one sense one thinks it should be a model of competence and efficiency and well, and it's, it's just the shit like government. government. Like we think that the government people who govern should be right. the best it's of the chaos. best, and they are the worst of the worst. It's always. like sort of exactly pre-Trump. It's it's just chaos, corruption, lies. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just, this has mute. been a forty-year journey for you because you started with with um who not Milken, Milken, was, Michael Milken. Yeah, it was. So this has been an ongoing passion of yours for. Well, actually, I believe, yes, because I believe Sumner Redstone used Michael Milken's junk bonds. Or do you think it all buy- started that day when you had to walk the, the, the length of the table towards, what was his name? In- oh, yes, yes, Maxwell, Robert Maxwell. Yeah, Robert Maxwell, that was the beginning. That was your... your, your My first billionaire encounter, yes, that's right. That's when a- you first realized that these people are terrible and you need to know everything about them. It's true. I mean, I'm just trying to pick up tips. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's available well, on Amazon. And there will be a book like this written about you. I expect you're Make already books. well into it, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually making a musical with Tom about, about World of Wonder. <laughs> Shit show, the musical. All right. <laughs> Restaurants at the End of the World is a four-part series with award-winning chef, Kristen Kish, who is unbelievable amazing talented beautiful stunning amazing cook and that is on um tuesdays on nat geo and of course on disney plus the next day it's an amazing series jeremy simmons directed and produced it it's you know we go off to the arctic circle and uh, panama and And, just you know you posted a bunch of pictures on your instagram of the out of the meal that you had with her recently in in south by southwest and it just everything looks so amazing and she is just as cute as a button she's so wonderful like she's so like charismatic like just just i've seen the commercials for it and everything she just looks wonderful you that is amazing though because you can't take your eyes off her and Mm -hmm. She doesn't present in a noisy, you know, she's not like Gordon Ramsay shouting at you. She's incredibly quiet. Centered. She seems yeah. very calm and centered. Yeah. And you just are pulled into her. I mean, her beauty. You can't take a, I mean, she's just but stunning radi- to look It's not at. just beauty. It's ra- there's something radiant yeah. about it. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, I just, yes. I find her fascinating. I, I, I love her. She, she is amazing. All right. We'll be right back after the break. Blake, have you got a question? I do. I have a question about another book, about another madman media titan. Um, Fenton Bailey, to celebrate <laughs> his new book, Screen Age, which comes out on Tuesday. Nice. Um, so, Fenton, you're not going to answer this. You are going to answer this. So, you don't guess. Just okay. because Fenton wrote this in a book doesn't mean he remembers it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll just because see. it's about Fenton doesn't mean he's going to remember it. Or he where, gets it right. <laughs> where did Randy and Fenton get the inspiration for the logo of World of Wonder? Uh, How? I will reveal the answer, perhaps, if I remember it. If I have time to look it up in the break. <laughs> uh, you're listening to The Wear Report on Radio Andy. 
You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom. And Blake, you had a, a question. I did in celebration of Screen Age, the book by you, which comes out this Tuesday. Yes. Um, Fenton and Randy got the inspiration for the logo of World of Wonder from where? I'm going to say the spinning globe above the first office building that they had at the, what was it, World's End? What was it called? Oh, Crossroads of the World. Crossroads of the World. There was a giant spinning globe and that looked like them. And for people who don't know, the logo is a world, a globe, kind of, you know, very beautiful. Um, I'm going to have to, I have two ideas. I feel like there's some story I heard about a toy store. Don't know if that has anything to do with it. And then I also think it could just be off of your MasterCard that you probably charged everything for the first 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> the true story is it's off a, um, remember, went camping. And you know, you when you go camping, you have those gas lanterns, like with a gas wick in them and you have to turn Gage. them up. And yes. And um he, he just did an Ebenezer Scrooge move, I think, <laughs> or uh, an Ichabod Crane or something. So, some old man is what he's doing. The wick came in a little white cardboard box, and on it was a globe. And it was like, oh, my gosh. The, the, the globe was so sort of oldie. It was like 50s or 60s feeling. Would you um, come up with a better story than that, please? <laughs> What's wrong with the truth? <laughs> <laughs> it, I was going to say the answer is camping, but yeah. Yes, camping. James, uh, I thought you read the book. Good Lord, this is not good. It was really a test for James. Oh, and, and oh. I, I, I was saving the chapter about the logo for later. Yes, I, yeah, no, I was saving that for the end because I knew that would be the most exciting. <laughs> it's like on page 10. <laughs> You know, it's funny. This is not for the for the um, radio show. But oh, yes, it is. Always, an author always knows when somebody hasn't read the book, or if they had they. Because my sister does this all the time. She will quote something from the first five pages, and that's it. Like she never got past page five. So whenever she talks about it, she'll say, "Oh, can of corn, can of corn." Like which is something I mentioned on page two, and so if somebody mentions that something from the first chapter, they know that you know they haven't gone past the first chapter. You know what, Jace? I got so busted once for lying about having read the book, and it was the first time I ever met Monica Lewinsky. And oh. Sheila Evans told us to read her book before the meeting, and you know, one thing led to another. Didn't read it in the meeting. Monica looks at me and says, "Did you read my book?" And I'm like, "Yes," and she could tell. That yeah. you just—it's no, hard to lie about having read a book. Yeah, people. People. If you've read it, then you can bring up something from you know chapter right. twenty-three or whatever. But yeah, I love the cover it. of the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, read like <laughs> the author photo was fantastic. <laughs> That's why I always it's very colorful. I always start with chapter three. <laughs> smart, smart. All yes. right. Uh, well, that was a lovely promo for the book. Thank you so much. All right, counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, number seven. Number seven. Just a little aside, I'm almost, I'm like a day away from getting on a plane and coming back home for the first time in three months, and I'm looking forward to that. It's slowing down a little bit here, so I 
uh, will your cats I'm... even remember you? Is I don't the, know. Is the big I don't question. know. That's the, that's all. What next week's show is about is about the cats. Um, but I broke out my VPN. I went to PBS and I watched. I looked at American Masters. And this January, I missed it, but it's still available online at PBS.org. A documentary called Roberta about Roberta oh. Flack. Now, I'm a pop culture junkie. I love all kinds of music, all kinds of voices. It, it goes deep. Obviously, I'm obsessed with Diana Ross. I'm obsessed with the Supremes. I'm obsessed with Luke John. I'm obsessed with Linda Ronstadt. Roberta Flack. There's one thing, and I, you know, once in a while, these things happen to me. And I'm sure it sends memory, but my mother loved Roberta Flack's voice so much. And I remember being in the car and the radio listening to it. And so it just, just hearing the pureness of her voice and the beautifulness of those songs just connected me in a weird kind of space-time thing with my mom. But what a life she led, which I wasn't aware of. She was a child prodigy. She grew up in the church, but not the gospel church. It was more like requiems and things. At 15, she was a, she was a, a, a pianist. And she went to Howard University at 15. And she talks about how her family, not with bitterness, but they were kind of like, see ya. It was sort of like, they, she goes, I'd never written a check. I'd never ordered a meal. I'd never, you know, so at 15, she went to this university where she excelled and did wonderful things. And she wanted to be a, a concert pianist, but, you know, black concert pianist, not so many opportunities. So someone said to her at the school, I'm not saying you can't, but have a backup. So she also got a degree in education. She was a school teacher in D.C. And she, one thing led to another. And she ended up getting a gig playing the piano at some, like, bar in dc that she said senators would have dinner with their families on sunday and it would be there'd be gay nights and there'd be opera nights and she was playing and the guy running the thing what she kept playing all these requiems and thing he goes it's christmas play some christmas songs and so she sang chestnuts roasting on she goes and the place went still and she realized she had this gift and this this guy was a mentor to her and he he built a back room just for her and she, you know, against all odds, she was discovered by um, uh, 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 the Atlantic Records, I think. And they flew her to New York. She'd never been there. And they sat her down and they go, how many songs do you know? She was like 600, you know, including my everything. And so she played 40 songs for them. She came back another time. They signed her contract. She There's an album of hers, which I've now listened to, which is where... Uh, first time ever I saw your face came from, which is her basically laying down 16 tracks and basically in one take and just, yeah. and they were just like, wow, but she didn't take off. You know, it's hard to make it in this business and whatever. And she wasn't, she's black, but she's not a soul singer, right? She's like, she doesn't fit a category. And then Clint Eastwood heard the song while he was driving. It was out, but it wasn't a hit. He heard it while he was driving, supposedly drove his car off the road and he included it in his first directorial debut, Play Misty For Me. And oh, off yeah. of that, it became an Oscar-nominated song, a Grammy Award-winning song. She won Record of the Year, Song of the Year, forgive me, I don't know which, that year, and the next year for Killing Me Softly. Oh. And she did songs with, I, I, I'm giving you the whole thing, I'm sorry, but she worked with Donny Hathaway, who was very troubled, and she knew him from uh, from Howard University. And he she was with him. He had lots of... Um, psychotic breaks and she was actually recording with him and trying to get him back on they had huge hits and she brought him to the hotel and said i'll see you tomorrow and when he did himself in but she went on and she discovered people bryson she um also had a background singer named luther vandross who she said bitch you, you get off the bench and get in front like this is your time so she's really responsible for 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 pushing luther vandross into uh the music icon 
a camp again. There's so much music. There's so much story. It's the songs you know, which are always good to hear again. And all the other things. She had a she had a um uh, a a personality. What do they call it? Like a alternate personality. An alter ego. Yes, it was like Roberto Flake or something. And she ended up <laughs> she ended up producing her own albums under her pseudonym. It's a pseudonym that she used. An alter ego she used her whole life just wow. to get her out of scary situations. And then she was separated from her family, whatever. And she, she, uh, she just talked about, again, the, it just breaks your heart because about black people and women and how far we've come and how far we have to go. Because she said, I did everything on this album that I produced. I just pushed the button. I was going to push, they let me push the button. So I got to take credit for it. Anyway, run, don't walk. I didn't know any, like that's fast. I had no idea that there was such an incredible story. And that, yeah. but that voice is just like you said, the timber, that just everything about it is so pure yeah. and it just it touches the soul. It, like it nobody else has that particular timber. Yeah. It's just, it I, makes it, me feel sad, really to be honest. I, I feel always a little bit, I hear her yeah, voice. It, I feel it, it evoked that. She's yeah. joyous. She is alive. She has ALS. So her voice has been silenced, but she's still mm-hmm. with us. But, um, and she cooperated fully with the filmmaker. So, See Roberta on PBS.org. It's beautiful. Just thank you. Wow. Yeah. James, number six. Number six. Number six. Well, we're going to stay in the realm of prestigious art from the 1970s here because I have been rewatching the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew Mystery Hour on, which is streaming on Peacock. And I want to tell you that I've. Well, first of all, the backstory of this is on Entertainment Weekly. Uh, Entertainment Weekly this week had an article, an interview called The Mystery of the Dreamy Detectives. And it was an oral history with Sean Cassidy and Parker Stevenson about the making of Hardy Boy Nancy Drew Mysteries, which was in 1977. And it was a big cultural touchstone, if you remember at the time. It was huge. And most of what it was huge for was because Sean Cassidy big big teamed idol he had just dropped to do run 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 to do run run you matter on a sunday and my heart stood still and so it was sort of like if justin bieber had a tv show when baby came out or if harry Harry styles had when, when, when just what makes you beautiful came out this is the biggest star on the planet and he has a tv show every sunday night in which they alternate every week one week is hardy boys the next week is nancy drew with pamela sue martin who before she was fallon on dynasty she was nancy drew and it's it i i keep wanting to see what Blake and Fenton would think of it. Because to me, it is, I am a pig in shit. I am so happy watching. It is the best TV show ever made. I am watching it at home, just gripped with every single mystery. They were so beautiful. Their hair was so beautiful. And that's the thing, is that when you watch it now, they have that 70s hair that is just a helmet of feathers, right? It's so fun. But they aren't that they're attractive in a seventies way that I don't know translates into 2020s. Tight and I, pants, tight sweaters, pants, big collars, big mm. collars, the seventies fashion. Yes. And, but the thing is, that's really funny is that they talk in the article about how Sean Cassidy, they worked 17 hour days, Monday through Friday, every day, they just worked them into the ground. And then at Friday night at 10 o'clock, they'd get off work and he would take a midnight 
airplane and do concerts, two concerts Saturday, two concerts Sunday, and be back on the uh, the Universal lot 7 a.m. Monday morning. And they did this for three years. And you see, as the show goes on, he gets darker and darker circles and bags under his eyes. And he says, I could do it because I was 18, but right. like it is not some, it, they were Judy Garlanding me because yeah. it was just, but just with a coffee, but he just like lit, like he didn't sleep for three years. But anyway, I've been watching it on Peacock, and I'm having an absolute ball with it. I'll try an episode just to see what it's like. I'll try too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, well right. watching, the first the first one they have is um, episode three of season one, and I watched that, and you will be hooked because it's all about um, virtual reality and their idea of virtual reality in 1977 is very funny. Well, we'll um, report back. Thank you. Yes. All right. Uh, moving on. Number five. Number five. Scandal. The headline was um, retired because of the politics, the lies, and the false narratives. Now, you would think that a headline like that, it's it's some sort of politician or something, something huge. But no, it is stylist Law Roach who announced he was quitting the business. Now, I... I honestly, I, I'm admit my own ignorance. I didn't really know who Law Roach was, so I did a little googling. Uh, is I should say, of course, Tiffany Haddish. He's the stylist of Tiffany Haddish, Ariana Grande, Celine Dion, Zendaya. Um, yeah, well, Megan his, his, his big, yeah, his, his his Zendaya is the huge one that he has as his main person right now. But Tom, you will remember in 2017 when Celine Dion had that manic year of every day doing Lady Gaga type outfits every that was law who who brought Celine into the 21st century and styled her to the hilt so God bless he, him he is the best at the best of what he well, does uh, you're right and actually I hadn't realized you know the um the outfit that Hunter Shaper wore at the Academy Award yes. the feather yes. across the breast yes. that was that was, that was his yes. work um but then um it seemed that the trigger for this was um he and Zendaya arrived at the Louis Vuitton fashion show. Um, there was one seat in the front row, and Zendaya is supposed to have dismissively dispatched him to the second row. Um, and that this is supposedly why he quit, although actually he denied it. Um, 36 hours later, Vogue had an exclusive about why he quit. But all the time, I'm thinking, why is this news like? Since when was a stylist, like there was all this outcry on social media that Zendaya should have given up her seat to Laura? I I need to to just stop here. I I need to bring, I I need to just go (laughs) off for a second here because. If you watch the video, number one, they they arrive 30 minutes late to the fashion they are late, show. Yes. Okay, so the seats are already taken up. There is a seat for Zendaya in the front row, seated between Emma Stone and Naomi Campbell. Okay, Emma Stone, Oscar winner, Naomi Campbell, Naomi Campbell. How dare and she Law Roach sits there and is demanding that Naomi or Emma get up and move because he is Law Roach, by God. And he, if he, and Zendaya says there's a seat in second row. Well, his face, 
He turns, he, he's like a ghost. He's like, what? And he storms <laughs> out of the theater and then gets on and quits. The, he quits his job. He's never going to do it again. He's so upset. How dare they? Da, 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 da. Well, now this is that thing where I have said a million times, dear God in heaven, fashion people are so damn tiresome where this is the rock. This is the hill you are going to die on. Really? That your life is so empty that this is the thing that is consuming you and you are going to, you're going to quit your job and you're going to get everybody to hate Louis Vuitton and you're going to hate the thing. Go to. Well, in this exclusive with Vogue 36 hours later, he explains, he said, I was riding in the car and I made a mental note, mm, wasn't driving. He was like being a passenger in the car. And I made a decision. I said, you know what? I've done everything I wanted to do in this career. I've received all the awards, the accolades. I've changed people's lives and I've had enough. Uh, I need a break from being in service and at service of other people. Um, it was really me giving myself the grace to say, it's okay. You can do something else. I mean, okay. Now, but, okay, okay, but but here's here's but, the thing. Yes, as it all is playing out, the, yes. the the Louis Vuitton fashion show thing. Yes, yes, he might have decided that before, but then he made it. He organized the Twitterverse and the La Roche army to go, to to attack at that point, and you weaponize social media, and that's yes. what he did. This he is weaponized why. it against Zendaya, against everybody at Louis Vuitton. And about against the fashion industry as a whole, and that's the thing that I have a problem with. This where, is why. Yes, he is. He is great in his universe. He is the best at what he does, and he does deserve all the accolades, and he does deserve to be treated like a queen when he is in his element. But that's why I'm but, so impressioned. Is like why does it? Styling is great, yes, but that that the, they're co-equal with the star, and even more important than the star. I don't quite. Get that. That's my well, old question. Because right? because he is he was on Pose. You know he was one of the judges on Pose on ADHBO mm -hmm. show, mm -hmm. and he does have an army of social media people kissing his ass. All I'm day, wondering if should day. even be saying any of this. You I mean legendary, like, not Pose? Right? Oh, legendary. Yeah, yeah legendary. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, Tom, but and like I, oh. I just feel like hey, Blake's telling us we have to go to break, and no one wants to. I understand, but I just want to say I think he needs like to get more sleep. Well, th th that's just at a certain point, you know, we've all been knocked around a little bit in our lives and you get some sort of grace and humble. Uh, you do. I mean, by the time you get to a certain age and it seems like he's just been he needs to get out of the bubble a little bit. Maybe it is a good thing that he's quitting because you need to get out of the bubble and see some reality because you can the fashion world, especially takes itself very seriously and you have to learn that it isn't that serious at some right. point. Yeah. Well, the next night he was in the, the Hugo Boss fashion show in Miami and he was walking, walking in. in the show. Yeah. So I think he thinks that he's going to, I think they think that they are now supermodels on the, bar the funny, with Naomi. The funny thing was about that fashion show, it was like by a fountain outdoors and there was a huge wind blowing. So even though he's walking in a fashion show, he's just being sprayed with water. I just, I, <laughs> I just think I, I this this has this whole drama has to be made into a Netflix six part series well, um, and probably a musical as well. I think I remember in my twenties having a situation where um, I was attacked at a club and I was calling Liz Smith. I was calling Billy Norwich. I was I was demanding meetings to have you know that I was going to have the boy club kids boycott this club because I was mistreated at the blah blah blah. 
and like and it's now I look back on it and I just think that's some young kids nonsense yeah. there. And at a certain point you have to grow up a little bit and be like And that and now you work for that attacker and that attacker is Fenton Bailey. <laughs> yes. Fun story. I was just going to say that I think he has brilliantly controlled the narrative and that it could yeah. so easily have gone the other way. And that's why I think, you know, we could see more of him in probably in political office. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. actually, yeah. because, it, you know, you do feel that the stars like Zendaya and, um, oh, um, oh, who was the other one? Someone complained about him saying that she wasn't a model size and. And the oh, whole you know, and that she should just go buy her own clothes, which to me is like, why don't people do that generally? It's like, you know. <laughs> well, I, I think that to, to, to sum it all up, I think we have not seen the last of Law Roach. <laughs> I right, think yeah. that, that he, he is going on to great many other things and we will be talking about him again. All right, then. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, more of the uh, top 10 things of the week that made us go, wow. I just wanted to say uh, Tuesday, 28th, is the publication of my book, Screen Age, finally in the U.S. And uh, if you're in L.A., come down to Book Soup at 7 o'clock, where I'm going to get interviewed by Michelle Visage. So come down. You can have a House of Love cocktail, get an autographed copy of Screen Age, and hear Michelle Visage ask me piercing and probing questions. All right. We'll be right back after the break here on The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. We're counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. Number four. Number four. Drag Race USA season 15. Um, You know, Great season, great queens. Um, just a little story about a musical we did, a rusical, excuse me, we did this week called Wig Loose, which was a parody of Footloose. Now, I, you know, we shoot the show in the summer, so it's like it's about nine, ten months ago. Um, John Pauly and Michael Seligman, and you know, the bunch oh, wait, came so together. You had no idea of what was going on. That's really. the magic of television. Let it's, me explain. Let me explain. So yeah. we. we we do rusicals. We do Kardashians, the rusical. We do Moulin Rouge, and they're and they're fun, and they're they're normally either uh, produced and written by David Steinberg or by Brett McLaughlin, who goes by Leland, and um and Gabe Lopez, and so many people helped. So we we just thought it'd be fun to do Wigglers. It's a funny title, and we'll talk about a town that won't let you do drag. And we thought we were and being- Heaven Bacon. I'm sorry. Heaven Bacon is one of the most inspired things you've ever come up with. Our I know that was not probably- Heaven Bacon. It was Heaven Bacon. I give yeah. John and Michael a lot of credit for this one. And um, and Brett wrote some killer songs. He does all the time. It's hard to say which one's better than the other, but it all came together. Yeah. And we created this. And I got to tell you, it was even the set was simple. It was like a play. It's like we had like a little schoolhouse that turned into a barn. And it's got, it's, it is so moving. And who knew? That when we produced it last summer, stuff was was brewing, but that we'd be right in the epicenter, in the eye of the storm of all this drag leg- anti-drag legislation. Oh, and wow. it speaks to it so powerously. I have and, I literally have goosebumps. As and that's that. not only the first time that stuff like this has happened. Like, yeah. I can't remember anything, a specific event. It just seems like. Well, that's why I I think it's important just to take one hot minute and just to say to you, Tom, you know, you're being far too modest and the prescience and the 
just the the sensitivity to what's happening in the culture is it's real power to you and the team. It really is, you know, you could say, yes, you didn't know, but you knew you had a, you know. For someone who is afraid to watch the nightly news, you know very much you have a, a sixth sense as to what is going on. Yeah. In, in what, the and I do is. read about the news and I, I mean, I know what's going on. And, you know, I think around that time there was a lot of violence in clubs and people were afraid to drag queens were thinking about having security and things. This is crazy. And now it's, you know, it's been routinized and they find that issue. But it's really entertaining. It's really fun. And speaking of Heaven Bacon, who is our lead character, we just got a shout out from Kevin Bacon, who oh. came out and it's in the press. And he came out and said he loved the musical and that he loved the parody. And so it's, uh, I don't know why, but that feels really special. And um, it's make you know, it, it makes a difference. And I'm, I'm hoping we can, um, the same, around the same time, you know, there's this drag defense fund that, uh, that World of Wonder is very a part of through the ACLU. What do you do right now across the nation? It's, it's a whole underpinning. It's a whole kind of subversive attack, even though it's happening in governments as well. And so, you know, you can't just picket one person or, 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 or you know, shut right. down one election or get people to vote. It's, it's, it's a strategy. And the ACLU, I think, is our best first line of defense. And so there is a drag defense fund, which right. we can donate to aclu.org slash drag defense you can donate because they do know how to fight these things and they do have to be fought in the courts legally and what i love about drag race and rupaul again is our master and and our leader he has said for 30 years every time i bat my false eyelashes i'm making a political statement we try very hard with drag race for it not to be preachy you know for not to be sad you know but we we allow ourselves to tell our stories and that is part of it but we have fun and we make fun of it and even a rusical it's silly it's stupid it's hilarious it's every cliche that you've ever seen in like kind of one of these makeover kind of uh, movies but it, it packs such a wallop and it, and it makes you kick up our heels so um, Every single person in it was spectacular. Yes, and, you know, they, there was a lot of arguing beforehand about who got what role, but yeah. everybody just excelled in their yes. in what they yeah. were doing. And I just have to say, on a side note, Orville Peck, that Orville, Orville Peck, Peck, good God, and he-, he is so cute and so well spoken and so adorable. I just I think he should come back again and again. And even sexier in person, there I said. I can imagine. He just, he has, talk about having an aura about you. He really is a spectacular find. I love it. I love it. I love it. Congratulations, Tom and everybody and Rue and everybody involved. You can watch the full scene on YouTube. Wig loose. Very good. Number three. Number three. Number three, that's me. Yes, um, I watched History of the World Part 2 a new series on Hulu, I think it is. Uh, we'll have to check. But I don't know if, if you, I mean, it's Mel Brooks, right, who was 97 years old, and he had done History of the World Part 1 back in 1980 as a movie. And now he's bringing it back as a series. And the first movie I ever saw in the theater was Young Frankenstein, okay? And then when I say that I saw High Anxiety, in 1977, I think it was. I was 12. I must have seen it two dozen times in the theater. That was my favorite movie of all time. I am a huge Mel Brooks fan, okay? Young um, uh, Spaceballs, Blazing Saddles, everything he does is so You're boring. making me nervous. But <laughs> the problem is it's a very specific kind of humor. And 
it works when you're 12 years old. And I don't know if I wasn't maybe in the right mood for this because it's it's basically 97 year old man telling grandpa jokes, okay, about history. And maybe I need to start smoking pot. I was thinking maybe I need to start doing edibles. Maybe in 40 or 50 years, it'll make more sense to you. That's it. But I do want to just say that the cast, because he is a living legend. He is such an icon. And everybody came out to work with him on this. And for the cast alone, it is worth seeing. I'm just going to read out half of the IMDb right here. Ike Barinholtz, Wanda Sykes, Nick Kroll, Marla Gibbs, uh, Richard Kine, Johnny Knoxville, Seth Rogen, Jack Black, Josh Gad, Jason Alexander, Danny DeVito, Quinta Brunson, Hannah Einlander, Kumal Nanjani, Sarah Silverman, Jennifer Lewis, Taika Watiti, Fred Armisen, Margaret Cho, and that's just the beginning. That's like the first episode, and it's it's about eight episodes. I'm going to take a look. I'm going to take a look, and I'm going to get back to you. And maybe because yeah. I'm a little older than you, James, it might just be it might just really hit my sweet spot. Well, it, you do. There are some. There are some laughs, but a lot of it is just such a groaner, you know. But 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 like I said, a, a, a cornucopia of talent. Very good. History of the World Part Two, streaming on Hulu. Number two. Number two. Trend alert. Pantry porn. I had never heard of pantry porn, but it comes from Clean Talk. And this, uh, the rise oh, okay. of the hold on, meat- clean talk is like book talk. I these things, I'm, t- I, it's happening. Culture is happening too fast for me now. Yes, right. And the, yes, porn pantries you know. came to me from the Kardashians. Right, that's exactly right. Yes, um, and 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 the sort of birthing a whole generation of neatness influencers. But what really made pantry porn pop is <laughs> Janet Drenton who's an associate professor at Loyola University, has written an essay in which she calls out pantry porn as, um, she says, what lies beneath the surface of this anti-messiness, pro-niceness stance is a history of classist, racist, sexist social structures, and that pantry porn is created by predominantly white women who demonstrate what it looks like to maintain a nice home by creating a new status symbol. And it's a fascinating, at first I was like, this five minute article cannot be an essay, but she starts off talking about food porn, you know, where the camera eats first, that trend, and the museum of ice cream, and then goes sort of, goes from that saying, well, you know, that's, food porn is a desire to sort of indulge gluttonously, whereas pantry porn is a different cultural desire, the orderly arrangement of abundance. And I don't know. I just I, this this article, this essay, just has gone viral, um, and she kind of tells people off for the allure of strategic stockpiling that is evident in other collector subcultures like doomsday preppers and extreme. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Well, I, I, will, I will just say before before the epidemic and years before that, maybe because I'm old, when I used to have a lot more sex with a lot different strange people. If you encounter someone whose like refrigerator looked like it was at a store, like everything's facing out and everything's the same, they were never good sex. I mean, oh. You know, that's the bottom line. But that's how you end this trend right now. If people are that particular about where things go, you're I, gonna thought, be- I thought you were going to go with um, pre-pandemic. You know, you didn't have time to organize everything, but 
now. Well, I but no, just, say, people have been doing this for years, alone, and I never Tom, liked them. I've never liked them. Is what I'm based, saying. Tom, based on that alone, I am the best lady you will ever have. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to say, I just discovered some hot dogs in my fridge that were so old they had white mold on them. So <laughs> I, I, I'll be right an over everyday Fenton. occurrence for me. My whole my whole refrigerator is black mold. <laughs> Pantry porn, yes. Get your pantry goals in order. And um, anyway, there's a whole movement now to stop pantry. But pantry what, porn. I think we should do the reverse of pantry porn and have it be like, you know, um, scumbag pantries or something like that. Like the hustler, the hustler of of of, of pantry porn. Yes. Like that one book that was like porn, pornographic. You know the book oh, I'm where talking it, about? You saw people's like the interiors, lurid interiors. Yeah. Yes, lurid interiors. Oh, they God, take they the person out, but they keep their ugly, ugly room. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's gorgeous. All right, we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, reveal the number one thing this week that made us go, "Wow!" You're listening to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. Fenton here with Tom and James. And Blake, we've been counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. And we've reached that climactic moment of number one. Number one. Well, I was going to make this number two. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about a shit show on Broadway when... uh, Hillary and Chelsea Clinton recently went to go see some Like It Hot on Broadway. And while they were in their seats on the aisle, somebody came, a mad pooper came and pooped in front of them and left a big steaming pile of number two duty uh, in the aisle of Some Like It Hot. So maybe they'll rename it to Some Like It Hot and Steamy. (laughs) (laughs) I I assume the person is on the runs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well they, yeah they really 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 did not like hillary clinton well, and tmz has said that it was an it that they've heard that it might have been an elderly person that accidentally done themselves but then on the other hand they've also heard that this is the fourth time that someone has shit in front of hillary clinton so what for hillary going out's a real crapshoot <laughs> ah! This is yeah. This is the fourth time it's happened. Uh, uh, blah, 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 and they don't know how to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> you know, I hear that the pooper got out of there quick. He left skid marks. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, when we find out more, we'll have the scooper on the pooper. <laughs> the scoop on the poop. <laughs> you know what? He was using an old phone. It was either a BlackBerry or a Dingleberry. I can't remember. <laughs> Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Wow, well, I just think that's dramatic and horrible for Hillary and Chelsea. It's disgusting. They they put up with so much. God bless them. They do. They put up with so much shit. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> and that's on that one. note. <laughs> you got the last one in. Thank you. <laughs> that's all we have time for this week on the World Report. <laughs> I'm getting a little flush. <laughs> <laughs> don't just say it spray it thank you tom thank you james thank you blake i have to i have to go rest my face i have been smiling like an idiot for the last hour (laughs) oh i just noticed that the wow logo is on my shirt makes me want to go camping Mm -hmm. Um, same time same time 
Oh, sorry. Keep, get, we were going to end the show, but whatever. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go and do something that makes the world go. Wow.